Hey, this is Benny Goodman from Lost Symphony, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. P.S. I'm the neurotic guitarist, and I'm neurotic for listening to so- everyone welcome back welcome back welcome back to a new episode of interview under fire this is your host sunny here back once again and today i have the honor in speaking with a multi-talented artist and producer benny goodman also known as the neurotic guitarist thank you so much for joining our iuf series today now benny uh this has been a busy yet exciting time of the year for you and lost symphony with the release of your latest album chapter three which dropped this past summer and I just want to start things off by, you know, commending you and all the well-deserved recognition this has been getting so far. You know, shout out to the other revered publications like Metal Insider and Brave Birds, to name a few, who have been praising your work over the years. I mean, there's just so much to unravel about this record, your music, and who you're all about. But before we get to all that, man, I know we talked about it before the interview. I know there's this kind of this, this, this light at the end of this long tunnel we've been in. I can't help but ask, man. How are you holding up these days and how has life been in Boston for the last, let's say, nine months, if you can even sum that up? I would say 16 months, but I think that's like we're like so far removed away from March 2020. I just feel like, you know, how's life been like this year? Well, I mean, (laughs) I'm a recluse, dude. So like my dad, like he used to work from the basement of my house and like never leave and just had computer monitors and then would grunt and, and then come upstairs at like three o'clock in the morning after we were all sleeping. Now it's become socially acceptable for me again to stay in my, I'm in my basement right now. This is my basement. And That's I, how you do a basement. Pe- people all the time say to me, you're so social. No, I'm not. I'm yelling at a camera by myself with just my cats in the house. And this is like the 10th time today I've done it. So, all that's really happened, it's become more socially acceptable for me to socially distance and say, you know what? I don't want to be within smelling of you. In fact, I don't want to leave my house. I don't want to park because you're saying Boston. I don't know how it is in Boston. I try to avoid Boston at all costs because to go from one part of Boston is like going from the tip of Texas to the bottom of Texas, depending on what time of the day. And for me, it's just like, oh, you want to come to Boston and see things? What time? of It's four o'clock. Forget it. You might as well just you might as well just literally drive off a cliff. So I don't know how they're doing out there. I'm in my basement. I'm in you're, my basement with like my you're, cats. You're, like you're coming to Boston. Why don't you tell me where you're going? That way I can I can realize where I, I can am get on my city. computer. I can GPS you like an 80s fucking movie and be like, dude, take a left. Take a right. You're calm. Out. It's going to be a bitch. I feel like this is something you have to stream now. <laughs> this is something that I want to see, like just to. Just for the sake of seeing it, this is something I feel like this this could just be like a Netflix series all by itself, you know, Benny and and the basement or something like that. <laughs> well, I'm doing it's funny because I've I've been doing the this show called the Neurotic Guitars on YouTube on YouTube, right. which was totally like not funded, just like just me yammering at, about music and guitars and stuff because I'm a nerd. And uh someone thought it was like good enough that they're like, hey, let's make a TV show of this guy and 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 like setting them places and stuff so like yeah man like i've made being in my basement and a curmudgeon and yelling and socially like, like larry david like having his mom die on curb your enthusiasm and then being able to use that as an excuse to not go out with people i am the only thing i'm thankful for the pandemic is that i have an excuse to be like i'd love to go outside and meet you and shake your hand but it's just dangerous and i have children you know it's funny you say that because I didn't realize I would be so comfortable doing what I'm doing today. Yeah, I mean, 
doing interviews, obviously these would be in person. Right. And uh, uh, I mean, I've done maybe 300 of these and now it's just like, it's kind of just become the norm. And it's almost like the same thing. Like when someone says, Hey, I'm coming to De- uh, Texas or I'm coming to Dallas. It's like, great. Uh, let me know how it is. You know, it's, I don't know what it's like out there in Dallas. I mean, it, now it's starting to open up with like shows and whatnot. You got to tell them to come to you. So like my friends, like my buddy Drew is in the band Kaleido, who's an mm-hmm. amazing band. And I'm like, dude, why are you going to make me go to Cambridge? You, your <laughs> tour bus literally has to go past my exit. Just stop in my studio. Just like, I don't even want to go see the show. Just literally just show up at my house. Like there's no need. Like I, do you see this? Like I got yeah. keyboards, I got guitars, I got weed. Like eh, eh, you guys are good. That's a, and and that's kind of just me- uh, checking off that mental checklist off of at least my head. Like, hey, check, check, check. I got all this stuff covered. You don't even have to go anywhere else. If you're coming to Boston, come to see me. So anyone who's listening out there, if you're all going to Boston, Benny's the guy to go to. Now, uh, Benny, I, I do want to talk about this because I want to wind the clock back to where this all began with you and Lost Symphony, because this is something that's very interesting because I play the violin myself. You know, my sister plays the viola. So classical is a, it's a prominent thing in our family. And we're all musicians here. And you are the mastermind and founder for fans, listeners who may not know of Lost Symphony. Take me to that moment where this, you know, this journey kind of started, not, you know, one, two, three, four, kind of just like the brief summary, because from the inception to where it started to, you know, to where you are now, does it feel like everything kind of just went by? Well, and it started with, the same Bill and, <laughs> with Bill and Ted when, you know, Steve, I and Kiss played together at the end credits and God gave rock and roll to me. Oh, my and God. That's what and, yes. and you, too. Um, and for everyone, for everyone. And it was Bruce Kulik because he's fucking yes. clearly superior. And whatever, I'm Van Hagar too. Fuck all of you. I know you hate me. Whatever. <laughs> he could sing way better. He's like 79 and he looks like he's 50 going and he can't drive 55. The point is, is that this started with. So first off, everyone's like, how you walk into a guitar center with a nice guitar. Right. And they're like, what band are you in, dude? And the first thing I say to them is, how stupid are you to think that I'm in a band that I can afford this PRS? Like, so my- are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, I'm a DJ. I became like known in Boston. DJing in Faneuil Hall and all around these places playing EDM and then weddings at, at like, you know, super high end venues that would never even let me use the bathroom. Nevertheless, let me in as the DJ. And I built myself a name because it enhanced my ability to be of you have to have seven fake jobs to have like the music thing full time. Mm-hmm. So because of all the music stuff and, and running a studio, one of my, again, seven fake jobs, um, I was doing rap beats for people. I was doing pop stuff, but I was not doing exactly what I wanted. So I, one day I said to myself, like, what, what do I want to hear? And I almost mm-hmm. cried looking at myself in the mirror because I was. And I said, what, what do I want to hear? And then I thought to myself, like, okay, one, I don't want to ever, like, fuck the trend. Like Phil Anselmo says, fuck the trend. Like, fuck I don't want, trend. I want nothing. I don't want to have to think it's at 128 BPM. I don't want David Guetta to remix it. I don't want fucking Justin uh, Bieber on it. I want, I want it to be for me. And it starts off with November Rain. I love November Rain. I love the, I love the guitar solo. And my favorite yeah. part is when Slash gets on the piano and it's just like, you know, Axel going bananas and Slash with his hat and all that. Like, but why can't that be the whole song? Like, I literally rewound that part, like, huh. and I rewind it again. I rewound yeah. the, but that could just be eight minutes for me. Like, and then same thing with a band like Rush or Dream Theater. It's like, why is he even singing? Why? First off, Getty Lee has no excuse because he's an incredible bass player and plays keyboards. Do you have to sing too? 
like uh, Dream Theater. I love Dream Theater, but that like and they sound like the heaviest metal band. And then it's like Danger. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love it because I love Dream Theater. I feel like you were asking those questions for me as I was hearing the, that that you know Dream Theater and Rush growing up. It's like I want to hear the instrumental versions only. Yeah, they're they're great singers. I mean, Rush. I mean, wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for Geddy Lee. Same thing with Dream Theater. You know, with and with these in- instrumentals again coming from a person who plays the violin, it was all about the compositions that really stuck to me growing up. You know. Um, I mean, Octavarium, like, good Lord, like just that. That's that's actually my favorite. That's my favorite record. That's my favorite record. Well, it's because that's when Mike Portnoy (laughs) was listening to Muse. He's like, he was obsessed with Muse at that point. And like, I love the band Muse. I think they're actually one of the greatest bands to come out in like the last two decades. And if you go see them, like Matt Bellamy is one of the tastiest. He's probably one of the greatest uh, all around composers pianists singers like I, I didn't like muse for a really long time and then like i'm like oh i'm stupid and that octavarium record was totally when like john Petrucci and mike portnoy were like we this matt bellamy guy's awesome and it sounds like if dream theater did muse which is by far the coolest version of dream theater to me and so, uh, the fact that you mentioned octavarium i don't mean to interrupt you but you mentioned octavarium you're the only person who ever said that that's my favorite besides me i've had so many debates for, well Here's the thing. Dream Theater has so many scenes from a memory is probably close. That is the most. No, that's probably right. Yeah, that's probably the most popular answer I get amongst my peers. But uh, I've never heard anyone say Octavarium. So, man, I love that you said that. Not that you kind of just fill that kind of gap in my heart right now. And uh, the fact that that train of consequences was all like that that threesome. Oh, my train of consequences. We could talk about that. If if Dream Theater just decided to do that like a lot more and like and didn't come up with like 37 minutes, like. Because the only problem with Dream Theater, it's always like, what's next? Like, what can you do after that? You know, mm. like, uh, you've, you've just written the hardest thing that nobody at Berkeley can understand. Like, what are you going to do? Like, and, raise and the for bar me, for yourself. Well, but, but, but for me, it's like, become better composers. And I, I don't mean to shit on them, but like, I can't hum Dream Theater now. The thing that's cool about like, if you listen to Metropolis, hmm. everyone's humming it. Because it's back when John Bertucci was like, well, this just sounds badass. Versus like, how could I make Mike Mangini not get it right away? Did you uh, get a chance to listen to their latest album? I think it was, what was it? Uh, was it? Did it come out last year? I, I wouldn't think it was last year. I heard year like one song before. and I was like, I've heard this before. You know, that's, man. I, 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 didn't, I didn't dig into it because you want to know what? I don't have a place in my heart and it's not anything against Dream Theater. It's so one of my favorite things ever is I have a rejection letter from Brian May on my wall from Queen because when I was like 19 my label sent him a copy of my CD and he wrote me at the time what really hurt my feelings but now I think it's hmm. super polite a letter something to the extent of dear Mr. Goodman thank you for sending me your stuff I'm sending it back all the way across the pond mind you as it was received because I just simply can't listen to music at this moment that's not mine in fact I don't even have time to listen to my own mixes but I do wish you the best Brian May I'm like what a fuck you he's so right like dude i have more music on my computer i'm like discovering songs i'm like i i just i rate people at this point by the music they don't release i think prince and van halen they probably have their best music probably hidden in their studio good for those guys because they actually wrote music for themselves but that's part of the process is, is literally being so absorbed with music it's kind of like once you get so into writing music mm-hmm. you don't have time if you're a, a, a lifer to even pay attention to other music because you're so egocentric about your own 
that it's just like, I appreciate that. I know Dream Theater is awesome. I go see bands. But like as far as inviting new music in my head, every time I hear a Cardi B song, I forget a Zeppelin song. And it's just like there's no more room. The hard drive's filled and I don't have time to defrag it. How old were you when you got that letter from Brian May? Oh, man, that was 2001. So I think I was like 19 or 18. Dude, the fact that he even took the time to write you that letter. I, mean, I think I, it was I, actually his, his like assistant because it's like oh, okay. I think it's like it's like the point is that the fact that he even had a protocol to write people back and be like, no, nah, man, you know, at, that was cool because you want to know what? Like uh, the fact that people this is from a different time. I mean, I remember Billy Sheehan. I worked I conned my way into so many different shows because I worked at a magazine like everyone did so I could get backstage passes. And Billy, she I have a signed letter from Billy Sheehan on my wall saying, how's your recording process? Here's my new letter compression, whenever that's from. So you can Wikipedia and figure out this time period. Hope things are going well. Billy Sheehan, that's back when people actually had to like do that for people to care about things. Now it's like it's all available on the Internet, like have being a, a completist as far as having tons of CDs. It's like you have what's a CD? Yeah, man, uh, like today, do you do you feel like the generation today that we have that we're seeing, like, I guess the generation after us, I suppose, you know, do you think they're I don't know. I feel like the bands, I don't know. What, what's your opinion on that? Like, do you feel like the music has just changed, uh, like, drastically from what we grew up on, like with, you know, the bands well, that I mean, we mentioned? Music, music has always changed, dude. And there's always been like stuff that's the same and it evolves. So like there's all. Like, obviously, from, like, Black Sabbath and the kinks and, all, like, on, like, there's metal, right? And yeah, metal's always yeah. going to exist in some form, whatever. There's always pop, which at one point was rock and roll, which, you know, at one point, like, you know, was country like the Eagles, you know, which, by the way, they were country. Like, I don't care if you had Joe Walsh, they're still country. Yeah. Um, awesome, though. Uh, but now, like, we've lived for an entire lifetime where people were actually alive and for the entire time of their life, they haven't purchased a record. So music was devalued the entire time they were alive. And you now have a whole generation of new musicians realizing, wait, I'm talented and no one cares. And I can't even do anything other than post to these mediums. And I'm not even getting the numbers that people are getting. And everyone's already done it before. So, like, there's different obstacles. So back in the day, you know, you talk to a guy like Nuno Betancourt, and he, like, gets upset because you know people can now watch youtube and you have like these seven-year-old kids playing eruption because all their life they've been staring at it whereas back in the day you had to go to your friend's house and be like show me that trick or blah blah blah, blah because things are different but they're just a different set of obstacles for people okay not, that's all it is not necessarily a negative thing right because no like, like no if you it's and, just if different. you and me if you and me like grew up in this generation you know we would be t we would be talking about the same thing. You There's know? just like more because, OK, back in the day when we were younger, there was TV, mm -hmm. there was radio. Like, so you had MTV, you had radio, you had Rolling Stone, like your friends. Right. Yeah. That was it. And it's like Michael Jackson. For a day on MTV, a whole fucking day yeah. for Michael Jackson. There wasn't that much stuff. They call it the long tail. Now you don't just have MTV. You have 8,000 stations. You have Roku. You have a fire stick. You have the internet. You have podcasts like this. So there's so many different things. So I guarantee you that there's tons of music being made that's as good as anything that's ever been made. Are people listening to it? I don't know. Like, I, we can't we can't necessarily necessarily find it because what it takes to become a successful musician is yeah. different. Because back in the day, you could be Bob Dylan and be like, oh, no, here's some good lyrics. And, and they 
Oh, I get that idea. Let's send into a real studio with real people. Now you have to be the musician. You have to be the composer. You have to be the arranger. You have to be the engineer. You have to be the marketing company. You have to be the label. Labels don't afford anything other than taking your intellectual property from you before you can give it away to other people. Like there's, it's fruitless. So it's very hard now. There's no linear way of doing it like there was. Here's the thing. That list you just countered off right there. Do you feel like you have to do all that yourself to get to stay ahead of the curve? these days that's not even enough for you because you're doing you're doing it all that's not even enough Hmm. okay so you want to go see a guy that makes me tired go watch dustin from star set okay this guy i I joke around that i say this has a new album so i just i say they're tantamount to scientology because he has a fucking book so the story of scientology scientology is l ron hubbard and Isaac Asimov, or this is me paraphrasing it because if someone, some Scientologist is like, this is not right. Uh, we're having like some sort of debate and Isaac Asimov, the famous science fiction writer is like, you can't create a religion. And L. Ron Hubbard's like, hold my coffee. And he's like, I wrote a Dune series that's cool and shit. Like I'll just come up with like Xenu and volcanoes and whatever. And now the lady that plays Bart Simpson, right? Gives millions of dollars a year. And John Travolta, millions of Tom Cruise, millions to this psychopathic cult that's like Mormonism times 10 million. And Dustin's like, you know what? That's a great idea, L. Ron Hubbard. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to create a whole world. I'm going to make spacemen serious. I'm going to create all these different channels. I'm going to use my own vernacular. And when he said he was finding Ron, the bass player, he was more interested in his like logistical skills and his operational understanding of running a business and just being like being a bass player was the bare minimum. Like you obviously you're a sick bass player, but can you look at these numbers and understand the metrics? And it scares me because it's not about being a good musician anymore. That's all being talented is such a small facet of being successful. They're not correlated. So what are they more focused on in your perspective? Well, it depends on who they is. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, I'm asking you that cause I, I agree because I feel like it's, it's all about who, you know, and not what they're all about. You know, it's just, it's just, you, you kind of just want to create your group instead of just finding out what they're good at. Does that make sense? It's like, you don't, well, you don't dude, I, I was lucky like, because like, I know, I know this person because they see the same, the same way I do in my perspective, I'm not necessarily focused on their talent, but yeah, come join me anyway. You know what I'm so saying? I'm I'm very lucky because I I I got in, I'm 38 and I got into the music industry when I was very young and it was the end of a period that was like a very short shot in time where it was the convergence of analog and digital. So I went to an old school studio that was $1,500 a day. That's no more. Um, Longview Farm Studios, where everyone from the Stones to like you know Coal Chamber, to Stain, like all yeah. these bands recorded there, doesn't exist anymore. And uh, we had to rent a Pro Tools um thing so we could go dump it from analog to pro tools with an old school neve board and we had to like bring in all these microphones and it was it was the also our our label was paying for it and they were paying for our food and this was before tons of smartphones so like if you call the studio they would actually like buffer your calls and be like oh excuse me mr goodman's in uh, a session right now it'd be like it was really a different world uh now like you can't have a label put $1,500 a day for some asshole like me to sit in a hot tub getting stoned. 
Like, are you fucking shitting me? Like, they expect you to be like Billie Eilish, where you have your brother, some genius fucking producer since the cradle, and that you've been sitting in your apartment making the next Grammy Award winning record. And then they expect you to be like Tom Schultz from Boston. Just plop it down. They're like, okay, cool. We'll resend it out to somebody who can mix it like absolutely crazy. We'll master it hard. And boom, there's a Grammy record. You don't have labels. Don't give you money anymore. You don't go to a studio like studios are in everyone's basement. Very few people other than people that have them in their basements because they can afford the big consoles go into a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar a day studio. Like that's literally the biggest waste of money as far as an economic plan. Like I'm going to build a studio. We're going to differentiate ourselves by having three SSL boards. That's literally like just saying, hey, man, I'm going to buy like five 18 wheelers and drive them right into the fucking water like. That's what it's like now versus being back in the day. You really, I could have Fleetwood Mac, Alicia Keys, and Van Halen going at the same time. Like, they don't care because all those people have friends that think that they're producers because GarageBand came on their computer. Oh, my goodness. Uh, again, that's like, that's another rabbit hole we could explore, Benny. Um, man, I should just let you take over the podcast. And <laughs> speaking of which, you know, staying busy during the pandemic is definitely an important thing. You have your own podcast, which I want to talk about, which is, which is, uh, you, uh, uh, Shaban and Corey, you guys have launched the 2020 podcast. There's a D at the end where you, where you, uh, where you three have like called up some, some of your good friends, you know, you know, ranging from like recording artists, touring musicians, industry experts, and so on and so forth. You've asked them to give you their take on like current events, you know, as well as to share, some of the wildest, you know, entertainment memories, which you have just done yourself to me. Is it kind of the same thing that you're hearing from there is I wonder how much of what they're saying feeds into what you're telling me, because I feel like that's that's a yes. I, I can tell you exactly. One of the things that makes me happy is being able. So we've been talking to really great guests for a while and we have a yeah. lot of things where like, how the fuck did they not have these headlines yet? And now a lot of these places are realizing that they can just paraphrase us and it's a story, which is fine. So like I went onto my Google feed this morning and the first thing I see is Satchel come up because I'm friends with uh-huh. Satchel. Yeah. That and, actually, and obviously Alexis that actually listening. was on my first. <laughs> when I logged, so, when I, uh, I but the phone. thing I love about yeah. it is they basically quote me as the interviewer, almost or, or all of us actually at different times verbatim because our banter back and forth is what elicits the response. But like, you know, I, I'm sitting there. I remember talking to him and I use the word misogynistic and, 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 and I'm like, are they going to put this into a headline? I'm like, this, this is hilarious. I'm like, that'll be funny. And I go today and I read, um, here's what it said. Uh, with a girl bass player. It kind of offsets the misogyny, but also if they're on your team, you could go easily. And then Satchel says, what's misogyny? And I say, I don't know. I got the one in, I got one once in Vegas and it ended with some Asian blowing me. Oh God, those are the best. This was, tra- someone transcribed this. Someone got paid to transcribe me and Satchel talking about how we think that misogyny is a massage with a happy ending. And that's funny on so many levels. So I don't know what we're doing, but like it's it's catching on in a way where like the fact that I can go read myself talking about misogyny and send it to my mom and she's approving is hysterical. Here's the deal. I've muted myself just now because I, I t- completely lost it after that statement. But man, and so I have been tuning into your podcast and you're doing an excellent job. I, I, I do want to point this out. Where can people tune in to uh, hear this podcast? And I don't know what 
future guests can you reveal to me that you're excited about? Okay. So first off, so let me say uh, it's 2020. And what that means, I trademarked it, motherfuckers, because I'm a Jew oh, yeah. and I'm smart. Uh, 2020 is like, a, and you can look it up in the Urban Dictionary. They're fighting me for it, but they're not going to win. I can't believe um, it took me this long to have you on my podcast. We should have done this way back. <laughs> but hey, I'm man, glad we're finally doing this. The world, <laughs> it's only, it only took me three records with Marty Friedman before the world's like, you guys have been along for a long time. It's like, it's like, dude, yeah, no shit. I've been like, little, like you talked about Maria, our PR agent, and she's been like, scree- like the poor fucking lady was like dude they have jeff loomis and marty friedman and david allison and and all these fucking ollie herbert's last recordings and like no one cared for two records at all and like she's like banging her head against the fucking wall because she's the best and she doesn't give up on anything because she's relentless yeah. and she's the best and she's the best and she's signing and she's the, best. Way, she's the best she's the fucking best and when it finally happened she's like yeah and the floodgates have opened and she's like everyone's like why didn't we have benny on sooner and she's like, I've been fucking telling you, motherfuckers. She didn't say that. She's like way more she polite than that. Said that. But she should have said that. So, you know, that's the truth is that it's one of those things. It only takes seven years to become an overnight success. Oh, seven years, man. That's like <laughs> manslaughter, man. <laughs> there we go. You know, um, man, I'm, I'm glad you have something like this because it really gives uh, Oh, I never gave you the link 2020-d.com and it's called 2020 because that means like I 2020 you into interviewing me, interviewing you on your own podcast. That's being 2020 or like what you call Amazon to return something that you didn't even order. And they're like, please wait for the next 18 hours. We have extended call times. And you're like, you feel like you're being waterboarded over, like emotionally over the phone by Amazon. You're like, I'd rather just keep the $23 and, and fucking film that I'm not going to use for my 35 millimeter camera that I threw out in 1987. Like, fuck you, Amazon. You've won this time, but they win every time. And that's how I feel like society is that you're just being emotionally waterboarded. Amazon. I'll, I'll tell you this much. If you ever take up a career as a stand-up comedian, you got my vote because you are definitely knocking it out of the park. Man, uh, 2020 podcast. So that that is that is definitely a podcast for everyone. 2020-D.com. Please do subscribe. me a favor. Everyone. Check that out. Support him. Uh, subscribe. I mean, it, listen to this shit that we're talking about already. It's already been half an hour and it doesn't feel like that. Now, something I want to get your take on um, is uh, we've seen this for the last, you know, t- speaking of 2020, I don't know if this topic has ever come up on your podcast. I haven't, I wasn't able to check out every episode. But I can't least, either. It's way too much. And uh, what we've seen a very uh, a commonality on interview under fire that I've been talking about with all many like so many amazing guests like yourself is live streaming. A lot of the bands, you know what they've been doing on the stage, they're taking it to the screen. Right. It's we're still saying it today, even though some tours are opening up. But we've had artists like Devin Townsend and Atreyu and August Burns Red. They would come on IUF and they would talk about their experiences on, you know, selling virtual tickets to the fans. And they would like pre-record a show or live stream a show. But I wanted to get your take, uh, uh, you know, about about this, Benny, because with the amount of, you know, the the live experience that you've seen also throughout your career and with the bands that have been doing it, with the venues that you've seen, do you think what we all saw during the, you know, the rise of the quarantined induced live streaming, is that going to affect the touring musician business going forward? Has it already been affected? Do you still see bands making this a normality once we enter 2022? Well, I mean, look, dude, it's just one more way to remove a revenue stream for bands. Mm. Um, and it's also another opportunity. So, for example, people have been saying, hey, why doesn't Lost Symphony tour? 
And it's like a really hard, like, how are we going to do that? And then I realized just like the moon landing, we're going to shoot it. Like, cause we did this, this thing for a metal injection called slay at home. We were yeah. supposed to be like live shows. It wasn't live, dude. None of it was live F- fucking fooled you. Like all it is, it's just us in studios, all the bands in studios trying their best. Some of them did live streams. Like, no dude, like we fucking recorded it. It was done all single takes and shit, but like it wasn't live. And I'm like, dude, why don't we just do what Metallica's doing and like fake a tour, fake a show, put fake lasers, make us play at the fucking goddamn pyramids like Pink Floyd and like just tell people like pay $20. And if nobody comes but my mom, like it's no different. And I don't even have to leave my house. Are you talking like, about I, the, you're talking about the live streaming they did? Not the live stream that. Yeah, that Slay at did. Homes. Yeah, they've done a bunch of shows called Slay at Home. So basically, it's they raised a bunch of money for charity. So it's a really cool thing. And I yeah. felt awesome because first off, they didn't tell you what time you're going to be on. So it was like a real show. So even hmm. though you're not really playing live, you're like, when does my band go on? When does my song go on? Like, uh, are, and then people are writing you like, are you going to do this? Are you going to like as if you have any control over? I'm like, dude, I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't know. So it felt like a show. And then some of the bands are better than other bands and have better sound. I'm like, totally felt like a real show. So it was cool. But again, like nothing we did was uh, was live. And I just feel like if we're going to do a show at this point, we're better off just making our fake Trans-Siberian proof of uh, orchestra proof of concept style show without Jesus and just putting that on the Internet. And if like more than 700 people stream it, then we could be like, let's call Jeff Loomis. So here's the thing about that. So when you mentioned Metallica, I, I, I went to this. I don't know if you remember this. They did this. For one week. Oh, I do. So I, I know went. exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. I went last year. I wasn't sure if I was going to go, but uh, luckily my friend had a ticket. I tell the story a lot, by the way, and I love telling it because it just made me just miss, you know, just the live experience even more. I get there. It felt like an actual turnout. Did you go yourself by any chance? Like out there? No. Okay. Well, I do love, I do love Metallica, but I, I, I felt, I don't want to say I've fallen out of love with Metallica, but they're like a girlfriend that I don't have any desire to fuck anymore. My older brother actually says they're the most overrated band. Well, time. no, hon, I'll tell you what they are. They're not overrated. Metallica and even worse now. And I have to say, and I'm going to get so booed for this. I just called Iron my brother. Maiden, Sorry, James. <laughs> Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden. Everything they do, people just go, this is the best thing ever. Which they so just like, did for like, the so new send record. Jits- so Senjutsu. Like, I listen to it, okay? I'm a huge Maiden fan. I'm a huge yeah. Maiden fan. You could write Aces High 600 times for me and just call it a different name and be like, that's great. That song's great. Everything. I don't, it's like ACDC. Like, she's got the jack is 16 of the fucking 45 songs they've written. Like, I, I'm fine with that. But they keep coming out with these, what they call progressive records. And they're not progressive. They're just long, go over the chorus. And Bruce sounds awesome. And the guitar solos are awesome. And Nico McBrain is on way too much Ativan. Like, Dude, if they just sped up 20 BPM and made the eight and a half minute songs, like six minutes, like Revelation, which is the kind of length, I like 13 minutes for Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner made a difference back in the day because you're like, what are they going to do for 13 minutes? Well, Bruce Dickinson's going to orate Samuel Taylor Coolidge, the fucking 18th century poet. Okay. And it's going to be worth your while. Now every song is 17 minutes. And they're all boring with 17 minutes. It's like the X factor before the song. And like, I can't handle it. I emotionally can't handle it. And then Rolling Stones, like four out of five. And then like Revolver's like nine out of 10. And then every Maiden fan, they can't possibly say, this is like Steve Harris needs to be told 
Here's the thing. So, in, what I'm hearing is from now that this is from what I'm seeing, like all these fans, the Facebook comments, Instagram comments, YouTube comments, whatever you want to point out. It's it's the same thing I'm hearing. It's whatever's whatever they feel like that was working on the previous records, like you just pointed out, they're sticking with that recipe that worked. No, it's America. It, just it's fucking that's what they're saying. Trophy. And it's it, we're, we're at the point where if Iron Maiden come out with a new record, we're just so happy that Justin Bieber isn't doing something else for that moment or that Bruce Dickinson flying a turtle across the fucking seas on his 757, like gets fucking pressed. Like, I look, I'm happy if Iron Maiden comes and plays like that's one of the greatest days of my life. And it doesn't matter if they play like nothing, but the, but an E chord the entire time. I'll go see it. I love them. And just the fact that they release a record, I will also buy it and I will enjoy it because I am a forever Maiden fan. That said, we are telling them that every one of their records is as good as live after death. And it's not. All right. So you think Iron Maiden is the most overrated band? No, they're not the most overrated. Okay. 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 Metallic and Iron Maiden are correlated in that everyone just could take like, say Ager sold 5 million records. Who are these 5 million people, dude? 6 million Jews die in the Holocaust. So 1 million less people than Hitler killed. Fucking bots in anger. I don't know any of them. Who are these people, dude? Like, and that album is literally like I have to this day. I heard Fran and I turned it off. I was like, this sounds like uh, the emotional stuff I've been trying to push down since seminary school. <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, man! Five million records. I I didn't even. I knew it was it was it could uh, be more, dude. Like it's horrifying. Like was, the fact is that they sold this many records uh, for that for that record. And look, Death Magnetic, that's the perp this is the perfect example of why Metallica hurt my feelings. And I love them, but they hurt my feelings. Is that when Death Mag Magnetic came out, they had a game called Guitar Hero. Yes. And in Guitar Hero, they had a Metallica Guitar Hero, and they had the songs for Death Magnetic. And what right. they had done from the record label is they set the tracks to Guitar Hero unmastered so that they could have the individual tracks. And if you went and listened to Guitar Hero, that album sounds amazing. Really? Now, when I listen to it, it gives me what's called noise fatigue because like Oasis, they had it mastered so loud that there's like 0.1 variance in decibel rating, which basically just means that they put 10 from the loudest to softest. There's no variance. They're just like, make it sound so loud that if you listen to it for like 10 minutes and you start feeling ill, it's because of noise fatigue because they crunched. Anyone that knows what compression is, they basically make the, the highest highs and the lowest lows and they push them together. Yeah. So a whisper becomes a scream and a scream becomes a whisper and Metallica just go, I want everything to be at 11, but at the expense of what they call dynamics and feel and tone so that album just sounds like it's sucking the life out of you because it's so over compressed and even the guy who mastered it was like dude i was just following i was merely following orders and but you went back to guitar hero or whatever his guitar band and it sounded <laughs> perfect band. so there so there was a fucking Petition signed by 400,000 people or something absurd saying, please, Metallica, just release this version and remaster it. And you know what they said? Just like to the base of Injustice for All? Nah. Oh, man. This was what? 20, uh, 2008, I believe. That's when yeah, was that album would have been a fucking masterpiece had it not been a giant noise fatigue binaural fuckery. 
because they literally like, hey, man, how do we make this literally as loud as possible and make it devoid of feeling? Just turn it up to the high, like 18 to 1 ratio. Cool. And then you go watch it. You're like, wow, that song actually had a cool riff. I didn't know it had tone because it literally just sounds like because everything sounds like Wonderwall when you're Metallica mastering your record. (laughs) <laughs> wonderful <laughs> man uh, uh speaking of i'm gonna go off topic here have you seen like these old uh the youtube like wonderwall like uh they try to butcher the songs where it's like it, they, they call it they call it youtube poop where it's I call they- it in the 90s everyone <laughs> butchered the song like you just sat in the quad and all you did is you purchased this because everyone was like you know it must be your skin and i'm singing and then there's the other guy with long hair smoking pot like it's singing you know go saying they're from lifehouse a band that mattered then and you're like no dude i'm from oasis but you don't have an accent well no i'm from lifehouse he's from oasis okay and then you're both like trying to get the free weed just playing the oasis song and the lifehouse song at each other so when you say it's been butchered on the internet no that entire decade because those songs were so easily accessible to people and they were so loud on your ipod because they were mastered which is the loudness war if you want to google it um it's, they've already been butchered they butchered the songs no one will tell you that liam gallagher butchered the songs even on stage and throw his fucking shit down i think all i need right now is a drink and i'm, I'm all set man okay can we talk about your music next i feel like we sure. kind of just yeah you, you channeled everything out there right now having said that we love metallica we love iron maiden all right no hate Bands. I love Maiden. Yeah, I love we, Metallica. We, we, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those bands. So, I mean, oh yeah, dude. But, but, dude, but everything you said was just on point, and I didn't realize about the whole Guitar Hero uh, tidbit that Google I had, it, dude. I, I had no idea about that. Death Magnetic wasn't. It was kind of just like a flash in the pan for me. I didn't really, you know, didn't really stick with me. It was always I'll, I love Metallica, but it was always about for me. It was about the first four records. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way. But everything after that, you know. Well, yeah, that's because Dave Mustaine and Cliff Burton. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. I mean, do you find any correlation to the fact that I don't, I mean, because that's the other thing. Everyone gets all like, they act like Dave Mustaine is like so salty. But like, I don't know if I started a band and then I took all of your riffs to like Creeping Death. And like the Four Horsemen is known more by Metallica. Then Mechanics, The Mechanics, which is on Killing is My Business and Business yeah. is Good, uh, which is Megadeth's first record. It's the same song, except that Megadeth played it harder, faster, and shreddier. And everyone knows, they're like, oh, why is Megadeth covering The Four Horsemen? It's because Dave Mustaine wrote that riff, and James Hetfield just stole it. And then, but, but they credit him and Cliff Burton, like, the best song and Injustice for All, To Live Is To Die, co-written by... Cliff Burton. Surprise? Not to me. Nope. Nope. Um, okay, let's get to the next topic I want to get to is uh, man. Um, Benny, I'm gonna have you on again sooner than later because this is this is great. I love having you're you've been one of my best guests. So I can have Blabbermouth tell Metallica I hate them when I love them, and all I want to do is mow Kirk's lawn and pay him. Hey, everything you're telling me is just I mean, it, that that's the truth I grew up knowing. I'm just glad that you're actually saying this out there. Because people are just, they don't want to say, here I am, you know, I'm, I'm again, changing subject again. They don't want to, a lot of this things that we're seeing lately is people are filtering themselves. They don't want to speak out about what, what's the truth out there, you know, and you're, you're talking about it and it's, no one's going to, I'm sure. I'll ask you you a scary question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Here's a truth question. How old were you when you realized that Megadeth is actually superior to Metallica, that Dave Mustaine's not wrong? 
Uh, I was very young. What, I'm 33. Good Lord. Uh, 16, 15. It's been almost 20 years. Megadeth was, as much as I love Metallica, Megadeth was always just. Uh... See, it took me much longer because I, I wasn't. I am a late bloomer. So I, I thought that Metallica was so awesome for so long. And then I had to see Megadeth probably 25 times. And then I'm like, Tornado Stalls is way better than any solo on any record that Metallica ever did. Um, and then, of course, you know, they come out with the, like an album like The System Has Failed. Okay. Totally like overlooked Endgame. One of my favorite Megadeth records. I love it. And Endgame. that's newer. Whereas that Metallica means- for me, they haven't come out with one good thing other than like live bootlegs of themselves since 1989, 1990. I don't know. I mean, I like the Black Album. I enjoyed the Black Album. I'm not going to shit on the Black Album. I understand if you're a Metallica fan and you listen to it, you're like, this is so pussy comparatively. You're right. It is. But it's a beautiful masterpiece of production selloutery. And and honestly, if they came out with another black album right now, I would suck their dicks and thank and thank each one of them. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, fucking Jason, or for taking over for Robert and getting over the fucking hernia. Like it'd be awesome because I would take holier than now over ain't my bitch any fucking day over anything that I mean, dude. What happened with that album they did with what's that dude? Um. We all forgot it and again pushed it down. It's like uh, it came after out, out of some kind of monster. Um, Lou Reed. They did a record with Lou Reed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's unlistenable. Like literally it's Metallica and Lou Reed. So it's kind of like the same thing as Crazy Horse with Pearl Jam and Neil Young, which was an acceptable collaboration despite they both are like whatever. Uh, but holy shit, you think Metallica and Lou Reed would be a bad thing? You're like, nah, man, it's way worse than you could have ever thought. It's like it's mysticized throughout your entire hatred system when's the last time you saw metallica or megadeth live i saw okay so the last time i saw megadeth actually was the last time i saw ollie herbert which is really sad yeah um, to think um was uh yeah rust in peace bro Uh, there you go um but uh i I think he was at the um the i want to say avalon but it's the house of blues now in boston and uh, it was still with Chris Adler on, you know what? I've seen them more recently than that. I think I saw them at the Hard Rock Cafe do something for a charity called Music Drives Us where they played an acoustic set. And it's when they uh, had Dirk had just joined the band or whatever. So I, I think I saw them at the Hard Rock Cafe. And it was weird because Tara Reid uh, from American Pie uh, announced them, which I just thought was a, a strange huh. thing that Hunter S. Thompson would probably take note of. <laughs> Wow, that is an interesting story. How long ago are we talking when this happened? Uh, you know, I got I to gotta figure it out. Like, Terry, I went out to dinner with my buddy Paul Geary, um, and he calls me up and he goes, dude, uh, we're going out to dinner with Tara Reed. I'm like, we're going to Megadeth. He's like, yeah, but I'm with Tara Reed. I'm like, the girl I jerked off to from like 1997 to like 2000. I wonder where she's twenty. Oh, I don't know, man, or, but like whatever she's on, like, I want to be on that. Like, she's definitely in Tara Reed world, which is great. Like, I love she's good. so okay. nice to me. She's super nice to me. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on. I, all I can tell you is that at three o'clock in the morning when she was telling me her life story, eating Chinese food in, her, in a hotel room, I kept thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm talking to the chick from American Pie and she can tell me anything. And I'm going to be the shoulder to cry on if she needs it. She didn't need my shoulder, but I hope she did. I thought about it. It was a moment. And like. That's cool. And then we saw Megadeth 
And that was crazy because not only was it Megadeth with Tara Reid, but it was also acoustic, which Megadeth acoustic is definitely an interesting experience. Man, that's that's probably one of the best stories I've ever heard. Man, that's like one of the that's like a story that I would just love to talk about all the time. Man, just Tara Reid, Megadeth, probably not. Abe Mustaine kicked her right out of the fucking dressing room. He was just like, out. <laughs> not, no! not the combination no, I, I would expect but it works so well. oh dude he was over it dude he he was so fast I, but in his defense she was being loud and like i appreciated his candor um man dave mustaine legend terry reed legend you know it's uh that's that's how it goes sometimes legends hanging with legends Why that's not, that's right? how it works uh speaking of legends um i know we don't have much time left but I'll, but chapter three dropped july 9th man it's uh it's a thing of beauty. And I just want to mention, you know, thank you. You, you work with you work with, uh, you know, you mentioned the late great Ole Herbert, you know, uh, Angel Vivaldi, Jimmy Bell, Matt LaPierre, Joey Conception. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, what was it like bringing like this? It felt like the Justice League coming together in my book. You know, what was it like bringing just this all star cast into your world of, you know, making music together? Was there like. You know, well, it was one of those things where Ollie started the fire. Like, you know, we didn't start the fire yeah. by Billy Joel. Like, no, we know exactly who started the fire because he was the first person that was like that heard my archetypical song, which is on ch- uh, chapter one. The first song we made was Leave Well Enough Alone. And yes, uh, it has Conrad Simon and Kelly Kerlock, who are two of the greatest guitar players in the goddamn world that you may have not heard of. Most people haven't heard of these guys. And it sounds like cacophony uh, to me. And when I heard that and I started sending it out to people, Ollie was the first. I didn't send it to Ollie. I actually had Jason um, from All yeah, That Remains. Ollie, the drummer. Somehow, Ollie uh, somehow got up, got round up with the track. Well, Jason played on it. Jason, I begged okay, Jason yeah. to play. I begged him like in the snow to play uh, over many drinks. Literally, literally tried. in the snow. Okay. Oh, uh, you know, it was cold outside. He was like drinking. He's like, I'm keeping my liver warm. I'm like, please let me play you this demo. He was like, fine. So I dragged him out by his head. He'll be like, dude, Benny, you can't drag me from my head. Don't say that. Um, no, I begged him to come outside and listen to this song. And he was like, fine, I'll put drums on it. And when he did that, Ollie heard him play it for him. And Ollie was like, I need to know, I need to know who these guitar players are. Because Ollie was just obsessed with guitar. He said it exactly like that. Yeah, he's like, they're playing scales. I wouldn't. Is he? Is he? Is he subdividing the, the time legend signature? Ollie? Late great legend Ollie. Yeah. So. I, he just all of a sudden I get a call one day from Ollie. Like, I'm going to give Ollie your number. I didn't know who he was. And he's sitting in my studio. It was Matt LaPierre, who's on the record, who was the first person that said, like, you know, he's a big deal. And like, I grew up like watching his DVDs. Right. And I'm like, that dude, the fucking dungeon master over here eating my barbecue chips. Like, that's like doing the fucking Dimebag Daryl wielding Spider-Man shit. as like he's like playing on Arpeggio and then he's like wielding something like that guy. And he's, he's like, doing dude, it well he, while doing that. Yeah, and he's he's like, no, he's he's Ollie Herbert. I'm like, I know who he is, dude. Like that guy, like, dude, he's a fucking legend. And that's when I realized that like, holy shit, like and it all came to me. And then Ollie would say stuff like, well, you know, I should have like Bumblefoot play on this or I should call Angel Vivaldi and, and David Ellison and that'd be cool. Wait, you're gonna get bubble? You know, you have Bumblefoot's cell phone number. He's like, oh yeah, I just played with him on Shiprock, and like, you know, he'll probably like this and blah blah blah. And so the first thing, the first person, like Ron Bumblefoot, Ron Thal, yeah, uh, wrote like, this is beautiful to our song, Leave Well Enough Alone. I was like, oh my god, Bumblefoot thinks my music is beautiful. It was like my birthday, like 15 years ago, because that's how long we've been doing this. Um, and I was just, it was like the validation. But once Ollie got like Bumblefoot. And Angel Vivaldi and all that, like, and then of course he passed away. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it started off as Ollie basically being like 
come on, everyone, it's okay. Like, we, we have good people. And then once we got all these great people, then I could be like to Angel Vivaldi. But look, we have Satchel playing on this song. And we have uh, Bumblefoot playing on, and Rusty Cooley's going to play on this song. So, right. like, once we had that validation, it became easier. And then some people started using the chart. Like, I remember I went to John Denae from um, Shadows Fall and Anthrax's, uh, well, it was Matt, uh, Matt Bashan, a studio. Right. Um, and I played it for John. He was going to like do a solo. He was like, you, he just like looked at me. He's like, fuck, dude, you didn't tell me. He was like this fucking crazy. And like, we ended up, instead of having him just track it, like we composed it together. And he really composed it with Matt because they work beautifully. And then he sent it to me later. But like, when we first went into it, he, he was like, oh, I didn't realize like, this is the fucking ride. But people have now been saying that playing in Lost Symphony is almost like a rite of passage. And that was kind of what we did with Kelly Carolock, who's our actual guitarist, who's not right. a featured artist, because he's the dude that beats the chess master. He's the guy that we're like, okay, put Jeff Loomis on this song. Kelly will play against him and nobody will notice that it's not, you know, fucking Chris Impelitary or Chris Broderick or Marty Friedman. And then we bring in Marty Friedman. And he's like, who could you have that plays the solo after him? That's good enough. Fucking Kelly. You have Angel Vivaldi come in. Who can play well enough? Kelly. And even when Ollie was alive, he used to always say, I wish I was as good as Kelly. I swear to God, if I was as good as Kelly. And he's right. He wasn't as good as Kelly. And he would have told you himself. And that's the thing. Kelly, we discovered this guy, Kelly, who's the, who's the greatest guitarist all around that I've met. That I've met. I'm not saying it's subjective. So saying great is like Jimmy Hendrix versus Kurt Cobain versus Eddie Van Halen versus Igbeck. Like, Fuck you. I know. I know. I'll argue every one of those angles. Just fucking let's go. But like for me, as far as yeah. in this project, which is cinematic, instrumental, shred, classical, my fucking crazy John Williams meets Danny Elfman meets Dream Theater meets Guns N' Roses meets like, you know, that part from the Transformers movie all together. Uh, he's the greatest. He's the greatest <laughs> at that of anyone I've ever met. And the fact is you can have, like I knew the day that he sent me, Jeff Loomis sent me some sweet picked arpeggio that was literally, you know, otherworldly. And yeah. I said, can you harmonize this? And he sent it back to me like within like an hour, perfectly harmonized. And like, actually I think he got Jackson guitars to look at him because of it, because we posted a video and one side is Jeff Loomis and one side is Kelly. And like, people were just like, Oh my God, because you're literally having like, an Olympic level guitarist. And as you're doing that, you have the other guys like, ah, you could lift that much weight. I'll do this simultaneously. And that's when people realize, I think that moment we posted Jeff and Kelly on the internet, people started going, Holy shit. That guy's good. Or like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like the way or, just, or if you're all, if you're all, you'd be like, dude, I just, I just wish dude, that, yes. like, I could do that. Oh my God. <laughs> His ability to, to traverse the Mixolydian is just like, way way better he he just thinks so uh, uh, uh non-diatonic and i just i can't get out of my box i'm sorry and some and another mention another name i want to mention is uh, shaban cronin like how did you know like uh, your relationship with with shaban like describe that like because as far as violin and viola and like electric violin because that's a big component of the lost symphony you know and well that's uh, the biggest that's the greatest thing that i i attribute to ollie so ollie i was djing a wedding in newport rhode island and okay. ollie calls me and he goes dude i found everything that we need and i'm like what do you mean you're like i met a violinist like it's like, you know, like i met my future wife i met a violinist she was playing vivaldi that's true siobhan tells a story that basically she's back they're backstage at some festival and 
Ollie, who looks like a six foot four wizard with his giant beard and all that, walks back all black to the star set uh, set, which looks like the moon landing and was like as she's warming up because she plays classical music. Like, yeah. Was that winter by Vivaldi? And she's like, who is this strange man that understands the language that I speak for real? And they like basically bonded like cone hens where they're like <laughs> Ollie and Siobhan like, so wait, what's your favorite tea signature? And she's like, was that a trick question? I love you. And you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where like uh, he calls me and he's like, we, we, you know what we need? Violins, because we've been doing MIDI violins, because who the fuck is going to play violin? Like, I don't know any violinist that's good enough to beat my MIDI. We need a Siobhan Cronin. And, and like, so he calls me and he goes, here's her number. So I'm backstage, like I'm playing again, Earth, Wind and Fire, September. And I'm like going and calling in between sets and I get her number. And I'm like, hey, so this is Benny. I'm Ollie's friend. Like, do you want to come play violin? She's like, sure. Where do you live? Like, Miami. I'm like, okay, like, uh, how are you here? I'll just fly myself. What day is good for you? Okay. And I hung up the phone. And then I think the next time I saw her, she's calling me from the airport. And I'm like, she was just so trusting. Just flew across the country. Yeah. We'd never met each other. I picked her up. I'm like, I could sell your kidneys on eBay or we could make music. And she came down to my studio. And from that very moment, like from the first second she got down there, I'm just like, what could you do? And she starts playing. And we, I'm like, go in that room. There's a fucking microphone. And we just, Siobhan and I and Corey Peza, who, who, who's our bass player, but also has arranged a lot of stuff with us and masterminded stuff. My brother, Brian, between yeah. Corey, myself, Brian, and Siobhan, we spend endless Paul, hours. Even Paul, right? Paul, uh, Paul, Paul, Lorenzo, Paul is, is a different a... thing. Paul, so it's Lorenzo. And I, it took me years to know that. I okay. call him Lorenzo, Lorenco, Lorenco. Lorenzo. Lorenzo. Uh, but no, Paul actually has never. I think he met Siobhan for the first time virtually on our podcast like a week ago. Okay. As far like, as like the group Lost Symphony, I wonder. Like, oh, the group exists, as... but I'm saying as far as the symposium that was like yeah. getting what we needed out of Siobhan. Siobhan basically is, is a musical genius. But the problem is, is that, you know, when you're, when you're, you learn classical music, you're taught. So basically classical music is so specific. It's like a math form saying like ppp or f or there's a 30 second note rest or you, you slur this or you crescendo that like so basically if you play something accurately you're playing it exactly as debussy or dvork or chopin wanted and so she's so used to reading things that when i'm like well just write a line how did you know since like uh how did you know that classical music was the direction you wanted to, you wanted to go <laughs> from the, from, well, the start- from the get-go you know because Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Here we are, three albums in. You have you have this collection of just masterful compositions within your music. Like, do you ever look back on that? Like, okay, I, I could have done this differently. I could have done this differently. Like, you knew no. from the start that. No, I just write. No. Dude, I just write songs, and when people say that they're good, I just keep working on them until like everyone agrees that they're done, and I move on with my life. And I I don't really listen to them a whole lot afterwards. I'll listen to them eight million. Like so, when I got chapter one, like as one giant waveform track, because it's meant to be listened pretentiously as one solid thing, right? Um, I listened to that forty three minutes or whatever probably a thousand times, and I haven't listened to it since. In fact, I think I've forgotten many of the names of the songs on the record hmm. because when I make new music, I just, so I'm obsessing over like I have 16 different things I'm working on right now. And it's not that I don't love lost symphony. I put every emotion, every fiber of being, and I will literally take my one wheel around my neighborhood, 27 miles 
for fucking three days and people just see me like going around with headphones and I, I'm listening to the same song going, I don't know how I feel about that violin part. And that's what I'll do. And then once it's out of me, it's like all you guys have at it. You can enjoy it. I hope you like it. I loved it at that moment. I don't even know now because I'm already thinking about other things. And you and the studio you're in right now, it's Speakeasy Studios. Is that correct? Yes. Being a producer, I mean, uh, Benny, I began to think with all this stuff that you're just telling me right now, does it make it easier knowing that you have full control over how you want this overall sound to be for the listener? Like, it, do you knowing that you have that freedom to do so? Because you have all these oh, yeah. all these musicians, all these talented musicians coming into your world, creating this. With so. You. It's a weird dichotomy because I or joked do, or around. Do, or do they tell you, hey, uh, Benny, do this for me. Benny, this is no, how I want it's not. It's, so I, the way I've described this project, because it is a project, and look, there's a lot of people that play on it, but we're not like relying, like, we just need Marty Friedman. We just need Jeff Loomis. The way I put it is like, I made a coloring book, yeah. and I made them color within my lines. So even though it's Jeff Loomis, he's playing with not within the confines of my song, but within the parameters of my song. So it sounds like Jeff Loomis, but it's not compositionally. It's not what he would have written. It's what he composed melodically to my idea and how I inspired him. And that's kind of, so I, I, very rarely did I get people too much direction other than here you go. But I know like what I'm getting, because, you know, I wrote parts thinking Jimmy Bell's going to do this, or I wrote parts going, we'll send this to Marty and he'll mortify this. And why even bother telling him what to do? Because he's just going to tell me why I'm wrong and he's right. And we should just let him do what he does. And, you know, I will argue with people sometimes, but for the most part, the way that I write things, and now it's cool because I'm working with this amazing guitarist, Hector Hellion, yeah. where he's written all these compositions where I have to play within his lines, where it almost forces me to write like piano parts a certain way, because if I'm going to compliment him and not be a dick, I have to play certain things. And I kind of feel like the way that I, my brother and I compose these tunes is that even though they have freedom, it's like freedom is an illusion. You still have, unless you're going to be completely jazz on me, like you have to do what I'm saying. I think jazz. So, so now you got me excited about what's coming up in the future. You already have chapter three out, which uh, where can people, by the way, for anyone who's listening, where can people buy something like that? Like chapter three, lostsymphony.com. Lost it's literally all there. It's all there. You can find, we have 150 videos. We have every fucking song. We have every member of the, of, that's played on every record from Jeff Loomis to Satchel, to Ollie Herbert, to Bumblefoot, to Rusty Cooley, David Abrazis from Pearl Jam, Jason Costa. Man. Like it's a Nuno Betancourt, Alex Skolnick, David Ellison and Marty Friedman playing together. That makes me very happy. Like Ollie Herbert's last work. Like it's all, a lot of people so if you go there we have all these vignettes and videos and all that stuff that we spent years putting together so that i could just say lostsymphony.com and then if you care just I care go there and i Thank care you. having said that touring is that something that you're looking to in the future i mean yeah it's it's i know it's kind of a tender subject considering like some countries around the world are like kind of just some tours getting canceled if it makes sense it's that like, easy it's, like if it makes you, sense i'm too old you're not I'm old. too old to get into a fucking van, bro. I'm too old to take a shower in a fucking venue anymore. And that's elitist. It's bullshit because when you're in a band, you got to eat shit. You got to eat crow. You got to fucking suck it up. Like I tell if I was to ever teach a production class, all right, this is what I would teach them. I would put the, the spinning wheel of death, the pinwheel of death that every producer knows that has an Apple computer. And I would just put it as a screenshot. 
and say you have to sit there for four hours and call it a lab and stare at the screen and everyone that left would be failed because if you can't stare at a fucking computer screen with a pinwheel of death for four hours, you can't be a producer. And that's kind of how I feel about fucking being in a band as far as touring. If you can't fucking take your mom's van and steal it and get to another country somehow, then you shouldn't be in in a band. And I'm old and elitist now. So now I've realized that maybe my happiness is being in my own basement, sending something to Nuno Betancourt, having him yell at me on the phone, and, and then high five again when Guitar World says, let's do an, a fucking interview with you. As opposed to like, I get to play in front of 20,000 people like Star Set does every night. Like that sounds like fun. Or I could just be here with my cat smoking weed, listening to Slayer. And that's also fun. Talking to you. <laughs> yeah. That's and we could talk about Iron Maiden. Like that sounds like a lot more fun to me. Well, now you gave me a reason to go to Boston now. I got to come see you, man. That You're welcome. Anytime. Coming to Boston invite, to come see friend. you. So that's Dude, it. Open invite. <laughs> And please come to Dallas soon. Like, I, I mean, I would love nothing more than. Well, it depends on how soon, because I mean, you got to tell your state to figure it the fuck out. Oh, man. Yeah, they got Lord. some shit going on right man, now. Not even that. I'm getting out of the state. <laughs> that's my. I'm. That's what I'm doing. I'm. I'm what I'm, state are they in? Fucking delirium. Like, uh, what the fuck, man? Like, uh, look, I'm not Lord. a political guy. Man, I'm just saying here. that, like, just do know, the right thing, you know? Do and, the right and thing. And, and, and like, and I feel like we, something simple like that. I don't mean to cut you off, but something simple like that is just so much to ask today that's the that's the thing that just bothers me but it is what it is that's the reality we're in sorry you were gonna i i mean i I don't think it's that hard just to think that like old men shouldn't have any say of what any women do with their bodies don't get me wrong don't get me wrong almost anything else we tell them what the fuck to do their bodies Mm-hmm. No fucking way, man. Like, you don't know. You don't you want to know why you don't know? Because you never had a kid. Except for that one gay guy that did have a kid. That's a thing because science. But like you didn't have a kid. I never had a kid. I know a lot of women who've who've had abortions, who've gone through that yeah. sort of stuff. It's horrifying. Yes. It's painful. Listen, They're living in a Jerry Springer. Right now, I feel so terrible. I just, I just feel my heart breaks for them. Go ahead. Jerry, Jerry Springer. Is that what you said? You're, you're the Jerry Springer bitch that fucking gets the nine abortions because you don't want to fucking wrap it up. Like, fuck you. You're not the reason. But it's like, you know, like shit happens. The condom breaks and like it's going to ruin your life. You're getting your PhD and you're like, I can't support this person right now. And like, you know, I live in China. Like the surplus population is already fucking cute. Do it. If that's what's best for you, it's not my fucking business. And if you don't do it in a sane way, someone's going to go do it in a fucking alleyway. And you want to know what? I'd rather women have a safe place to make their own bad decisions. If that's what you think it is, that's subjective. You're allowed to call it a bad decision, but it's not your fucking decision. So stop telling me it fucking is. Or it's not any of your fucking business either. That's also another thing. Good Lord. Like, why? Why, why, why? Why is it that they have to tell you about why they're doing what they're doing? Let them www.fuckyou.com. The fact that we're in 2021, and I mentioned this to my to my last guest, is the fact that we're in 2021 and still having discussions about this just shows me how much fucking far we have left to go. Like it's just you know it makes me read it makes me read. Uh, <clears throat> I think is it is it Jonathan Swift uh, a modest proposal where he says uh, when <clears throat> there was overpopulation during the 17th century, he suggests eating children. And he writes this giant doctrine that he had printed up, like be like, we should eat children as a fucking political say to the overpopulation problem. And I kind of feel the same way. Do you like I feel like that's how it is with abortion? Like, you're right. We should have them born and then we should just eat them. (laughs) 
Man, oh man, oh man. No, no, but hold on. No, Would no. I help with abortion? Because you know what? Let them live and then let's send them to all the fucking people that need to live. That have, like all there the grandmas go. out there that can't feed themselves anymore because their social security ain't doing shit. And let's just feed those children that you force the 15 year old that got raped in Texas to fucking have. And let's eat it so that we can continue. Just like Jonathan Swift suggested in 1700. Hey, Benny, you were speaking the truth, man. And uh, I'm glad you voiced your opinion on that. It, we need that's people. supposed to be ludicrous, we, by we the way. Need, no, the listeners need... that don't get that subtext, that's not serious. I don't really mean eat children. I mean that that's so stupid that if you believe that, you your children should be eaten to help our fucking society continue to improve. And you know what's going to happen, right? Because you said that someone's going to be like, oh, you shouldn't say that, you know, whatever. I hope they I quote mean, us. Dispel my name right, man. Fuck it. <laughs> That's all that matters. But uh, Benny, man, this has been this has been fun, man. I can't believe it's been already over an hour. It doesn't feel like that. This is I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the Dude, time. You're a blast, really man. No, you're I a blast. About Metallica, you? Megadeth, all fucking day. Let's Dude, go. we have uh, we barely even scratched the surface too. like we I, we could talk about one topic. Well, we like trapped on rice. <laughs> the only song that I argue is really not that good on that record. It's hey, not the good you, one. OK, you played Guitar Hero, right? You know what? I didn't because uh, I'm old enough where I literally, so I worked at a circuit city as a manager when that came out, right? Because I'm a loser in retail. And there was kids going like, glam of God, an expert. I couldn't do, like, smoke on the water. Duh, duh, duh. So I was just like that South Park episode. I was like, thank you. Like, well, I'd bring in my real guitar and they'd be like, dude, who cares about the way you play Cowboys from Hell? Look what I can fucking do. So, like, honestly, I thought to myself that people like you were ruining it for people like me. Like, you're making playing, pushing buttons better. Like, I push buttons and Pantera comes out of it for real. For the record, I, for the record, I love that game. I did not go to Circus City and be one of those douchebags. Like, oh, look at me. I'm playing. I can play. We don't even know if you're an expert. Whatever it was, the Through the Fire and Flames, that song, good. It, it got just beaten to a pulp. People were just. I mean, like I knew about Dragon Force before Guitar Hero was even in existence. I remember listening to uh, what is it, Inhuman Rampage, when it first came out. You know, it was just it got it got really annoying. I can't imagine. I want to see a sitcom of just that of of the Circuit City manager just being pissed off at these Guitar Hero kids just coming in trying to act like they. You know, what I'm well, saying? that's what I love that's about like, Matt. Par- There's a lot of them because Matt Parker and Trey Stone, or is it Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Trey Parker, Trey Parker and, Matt, and Stone, Matt Stone. Sorry, yeah. yeah are smart enough to know that they, they needed to make a whole episode about that fucking game and then have Stan's dad be like, dude, but I can really play guitar. And he's playing carry on my wayward son. And the kids are like, nah, dude. And they go back and play the game and they win the game and they get called losers. Oh, geez. And I'm like, yeah. you know, you, you go watch that. <laughs> the thing about South Park is it's such a testament to the reality of the world. I mean, it, it, it really it's really true because there is some guy sitting in his basement going, I can play eruption note for note. And then there's some seven-year-old playing it again on Guitar Hero perfectly wirelessly. And people are are watching that. In fact, kids are making money and monetizing. Blown yeah, away. And, and it's blown away. It's, that's just the, the reality. But, 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 but the converse of that is if they actually watch someone really do it, it's not as impressive. No, it's not. No, well, according to them, no, it's not. Um, but uh, Benny... Uh, this has been uh, such a great conversation. We're going to wrap it up here, but I, I, I was going to, usually I end my interviews. I feel like I would, I think we kind of, we already did this, but if you weren't a musician, I begin to think, what would you be doing right now? Has that ever crossed your mind? Or is it just like, no, fuck that. Now, this is what I want to do all along. Like something, 
else. Well, I mean, I've, I well, I'm already music. doing other things. That's the thing is, so to be a successful musician, you're saying it earlier, like we live in a society now where if you want to be a successful musician, <clears> like, <throat> dude, I have to DJ. I have to be a producer. I have to help market other bands. I have to, I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast. Like our, but you um, like, but you like that. You love doing. That. I love it's I love those things. But, yeah. but but that's all I can do to be able to do this full time. It's not like one of those things. It's not like Lost Symphony. You think people have this misconception when they see these bands. Like you know, uh, you, you go see a band play in front of Megadeth. You're like, oh, those guys have to be rich. They're not. Not all of them. Dave Mustaine's probably rich, right? But like the fucking 18th guitar player, they're probably paying him in fucking Bitcoin. And it's not even Bitcoin. It's like the alternate to Bitcoin. They're like, just kidding. It doesn't even exist. It's like blockbuster stock. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's the truth. And, and that's the problem is we live in a whole society where music has been so devalued that I have, I realized I saw the end of the world because I was, it was a Monday night in Faneuil Hall. I had girls bringing me free drinks. I got pizza. I played the motto by uh, by Drake and a bunch of David Guetta uh, over and over for a bunch of slutty girls at a place called The Place. And I got paid $200 and got to leave while these beautiful women had to clean up this bar and shit on the floor and all that. I got to leave and close my laptop, take my $200 while all the, the entire bar staff is cleaning this place on a Monday. And I went home and I called my dad who doesn't support anything that I do normally ever. I was like, dad, why I does that sound two, familiar to me? $200 for a Monday night. I ate food. They gave me drinks. And he's like, do they have other nights open? Maybe you should be a DJ. And that's when I realized, holy shit. Like, that's the way people are going to realize that, like, I'm a, a person that matters. So, like, I actually get introduced more to people as a DJ than as a composer, a musician. Like, I'm like, but I'm in guitar world. And they're like. But did you see him DJ at Royale in Boston when Dead Mouse came? Did you know that he's known as the neurotic guitarist? Just no. saying, that's out there too. Dot com. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Benny, do you have any? I think you, this, this, you already said this. Do you have any last words? Just any shout outs? Anything you'd like to plug in or mention as far as? Uh, yeah, you know what? I do have a last word because I want to read this because I, um, I've taken up a hobby of getting first edition signed books from my heroes. And I, I just got um, uh, a uh, um, Hunter S. Thompson. I got two Hunter S. Thompson books. And I was telling my fiance how he shot himself in the head because he had like some terminal disease or whatever. And I'm like, I wonder what his suicide note was. So I'm going to read it to you. It was titled and sent to Rolling Stone. Football season is over. No more games, no more bombs, no more walking, no more fun, no more swimming. 67, that is 17 years past 50, 17 more than I needed or wanted. Boring. I'm always bitchy. No fun for anybody. 67, you're getting greedy at your old age. Relax. This won't hurt. Bye. How many times throughout this interview have you just left me speechless? I'm going to text Maria right after this. That was like, bro, <laughs> thank you so much, man. Seriously. Thank Hunter S. Thompson for that one. Dude, I, I left me speechless the other night. Man, that's how you finish an interview, man. It's, dude, it's not even an interview at this point. It's just a great conversation between two great people. Uh, great people. Um, 
I will. I next time I'm gonna have a drink ready to go because I needed one. That was one for the books. Uh, Benny, uh, thank you so much. Thank you again. Uh, have a gr- uh, uh, what, what do you have coming up as far as like your schedule? Like any you know, Ton- tons of 2020 episodes 2020-d.com. So we have like I'm actually have to get after I get off this, we're interviewing Doc Coyle from the Bad Wolves. Um, you know, who's going through a, a giant dramatic battle with his crazy ex singer who's crazy. Oh, and I'm um, following every uh, bit of that. Oh, yeah, that it's is... ridiculous. And and poor Doc, I mean, he's he's, in, he's on a podcast called The X Man, and the poor guy yep. has like to deal with the contend with the craziest shit. Although he's in the media, so hopefully they'll be able to triumph because the band's great, they're all great people. But we're talking to Doc Coyle. Um, you know, I'm talking to Rachel Dialto, who used to be on 90 awesome. Day Fiance. Oh, no, yeah, Married yeah. at First Sight. Married at First Sight. I used to watch that crazy shit. And she's like Kate plus date and all the shows that I'm like, oh, it's the crack that I love at night. Um, she's a relationship coach. So I have so many questions about like what I'm doing wrong, which is everything. You have um, a fiance, man. You're fine. Uh, I bet you she'll probably agree with Rachel that I'm not. Um, but you know, we, we like to have interesting guests. There's all that where I have Jason Becker's guitar coming to my studio, his numbers guitar, which we're going to be putting in people's hands on behalf of the neurotic guitars for Jason to raise awareness for ALS for raise awareness for Jason Becker. Um, you know, that's one of the things we're doing and we're filming the pilot for the, the neurotic guitarist, which is going to have its own names, a new television show. Um, I can't announce it yet because we're working on the trademarks. You fucking greedy fucks. But, um, you know, it's, it's all happening, man. And I'm just like sitting in strapped in every single night editing in front of this computer screen. So that's uh, what do, I'm doing. Do me a favor. Stick around for just for one minute after this interview. Everyone, everyone who's listening, I'm, I'm losing track of myself talking, uh, the legendary, yes, legendary Benny Goodman, uh, from Lost Symphony and many other good lore. I can't even name uh, the, the neurotic guitars, everything else in between that he's named. Uh, do yourself a favor. Check out his podcast, the 2020 podcast. Uh, we put all the links out there. I'll, I'll put them out. 2020-D.com. And uh, keep stay on the lookout for new material from this guy because there's no shortage of what he can put out. And it's good shit. Now, let me tell you. Um, thank you so much, Benny. You stay safe out there in Boston. And we will see each other in person i'm, I'm sure oh I, yeah I bro listen that day. that's the greatest thing is that i have found the one thing that COVID has done especially with these zoom meetings and this is what i'll leave you instead of hunter s thompson is that i found the people that i like that i actually would want to co-mingle with in in a, a public forum like and be in a six foot area of um so yes you a lot of the people i talked to in 2020 i'm like i love you guys but i, I go to walmart and then realize why i don't leave Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. 
If you'd like to check out more, visit www.interviewunderfire.com or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And finally, we want to thank you all for the support you've been giving us. Keep it burning.